I want to warn you about today's message. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to raise a problem. Because I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but there are so many problems that we face, that we struggle, that we carry. And sometimes what we do in the midst of a 30-minute message is we wrap it up in a bow and package it nicely and send you out and say, good luck. So I'm going to raise a problem, but I'm not going to offer a solution today. I want to leave you with some of the tension because I hope you'll resonate with some of this. And at the end of the message, if you feel a little bit frustrated and you're kind of like, ugh. I, I want this to be wrapped up nicely. Well, I've succeeded in my goal if you don't feel that way. So welcome to the well. We're here to make you feel happy. <laughs> but at risk of offending you, what I want to do is I want to ask you a question that you probably wouldn't expect to hear in church or perhaps from a pastor. So if you're ready for the question, say, I'm ready. All right. The question I want to ask is this. Do you ever feel like Christianity isn't working? Do you ever feel like the way you're serving Jesus and following Jesus and trying to trust in God isn't working the way you thought it probably would? So today, I'm just going to get real honest with you. And I wonder how many of you, if you're really honest, you might say something like at times you get a little bit burned out on doing things for God or for church like Bible reading, devotions, good works, serving. Or you might say something that I felt and you wonder, God, why aren't you answering my prayers the way that you answer the prayers of that person or this person? Like that's the trap sometimes. We invite people to even come forward and share their testimonies and it usually has this powerful twist and it's like, yes, God did the miraculous in their life. And it's like, but God, why didn't you do that for me? I remember last week, we actually, we had the video from Alpha, the filling of the Holy Spirit. And I actually wrestled last week because I thought back to the first time we showed that video years ago. And Wes Dixon, the youth pastor at Gateway, is like, I spoke in tongues for the first time. And I was sitting there kind of thinking like, wait a second, why doesn't this stuff like that happen to me? So you might say something like, I'm doing everything right. I'm trying to be good. I'm trying to be faithful. I'm trying to be a good Christian. I'm doing everything right, but it still seems to just go so wrong. So does it ever feel like Christianity is not working? It could show up in any number of people's lives in any number of different ways. It might be a young boy who grows up going to church with his family. He does all the churchy stuff. He's in vacation Bible school, drawing pictures of David beating up Goliath. He's in youth group, has his first kiss at the back of the bus, playing truth or dare for the glory of God, whatever it is. <laughs> he's plugged into the church. He's trying to do things right, but he goes home, and what he sees at home is inconsistent with the message that he hears in church. And there's hypocrisy, and there's sin, and the parents are fighting all the time. So he prays and prays because he's worried about his family. God, save my parents' marriage. But they end up divorcing. So he wonders, God, did you even hear my prayer? Do you even care? Does Christianity work? Or it could be a couple that does things right, and they're dating, they're waiting before they get involved in the mating, they serve in a life group, they're on the host team, they have a lot of faith, and then one day, one of them loses a job, and then both of them lose their child. And the burden of that loss eventually leaves them to losing their marriage. 
And both of them ask, where's God? Where's God in all of this? Does Christianity work? And it might not be so dramatic as these examples. In fact, I'm guessing for most of us, it's not that dramatic. It might be that you go to church, you read your Bible, maybe even you have a, you have a streak going, you haven't missed in, in weeks or months. You listen to Christian podcasts and worship bands, and you may have a Jesus fish bumper on the back of your car and a decent job, a decent place to live. And you have decent friends. You may even go on a decent vacation. And you're serving God, but you're just not happy. You're not fulfilled, and you start to ask, is Christianity even working? So if you've ever been there and wondered, is there a better way? I want to bring a message to you today that I pray will speak to your heart. So if you're hurting, if you're overwhelmed, if you're confused, if you're discouraged, I pray the words from John chapter 14, the words of Jesus would speak to you. Starting in verse 1, when Jesus said this, he said, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, Jesus says, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me so you also may be where I am. Beautiful and powerful. Jesus says, you know the place where I'm going. But then Thomas pipes up. And I like Thomas because he's a bit more of a skeptic and a doubter. And he says things that we're thinking, but we're kind of too afraid to say it loud. So Jesus says, you know where I'm going. And Thomas pipes up and says, no, we don't. So Thomas said to Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? So everybody say the way. Jesus answers Thomas and says in this very famous and very important verse, Jesus says, I am the way. Everybody say the way. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the title of our new message series, Born Out of the Pain That's Come from My Own Heart, is called A Better Way. So Father, we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit and the truth of your word, you would lead us, not just in the truth of Jesus, but also in the way of Jesus. Lead us, God, your children, into a better way. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. So how many of you would agree that the way you do something or the way you say something matters a lot, right? Like, there's a way you can tell the truth, but you can do it in a way that's ineffective and even rude. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen some of the crazy mean Christians, and that's a bit of an oxymoron, crazy mean Christian, but there are some crazy mean Christians, and they tell the truth like this, Jesus loves you, you sinner. And it's like, whoa, what? Like, it's true, there's truth to that, but the way they're saying it isn't the most effective. And that's what I'm talking about, the way matters. And if you're married, you also understand the way you say things matters. Like you could say like, oh, are you wearing that? Or like, oh, are you wearing that? Like, and big difference, same words. <laughs> the way matters. 
So as Christians, I don't know if you notice this, but generally when we think of the way, the truth, and the life, we tend to generally focus on the truth. At least preachers do, which is important because you'll know the truth and that the truth will set you free. But we often talk about the truth of Jesus, but we rarely talk about the way of Jesus. Because Jesus is, yes, the only way to the Father, and that's one way we preach it. But I also believe that living the way Jesus lived is a reflection of the truth that Jesus taught. So we often talk about the truth of what he said, but we often overlook the way he lived. And in fact, I want to play a little Bible trivia for fun. And if you know the answer, don't shout it out. Just kind of pretend like, hmm, and then maybe later on be like, yeah, I knew that. But uh, what do you think the first century Christians were called? In the book of Acts, there was a title or a phrase given to them. And I'll give you a hint. They were not called Christians. They weren't called religious people. They weren't called Bible thumpers. They weren't called holy rollers or Jesus freaks. Let me tell you what they were called. These spirit-filled, Jesus-loving, demon-crushing, self-sacrificing world changers, according to the book of Acts, were called people of the way. That's what they were called. That's what they were known by. First, centuries, first century Christians were called people of the way. And it's fascinating to me that when you look at the way they lived, their goal wasn't just to have right theology. It wasn't just strong morality. Their goal was to live and love the way Jesus lives and loves. And in fact, when you think about the way that Jesus lived, you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and don't just look at the truth he taught, but look at the way he lived. When you compare the way he lived to the way most of us live, you'll find that there's a very, very big difference from the way he lived and the way we live. So think about the way Jesus lived. When Jesus interacted with people, he was full of joy. And most of us are full of stress and anxiety. You didn't see him going around being like, ah, the economy, it's going to fall apart. The Roman government is doing this and that. Ah, he didn't worry. And he told us not to worry. He said, don't worry about tomorrow. God's already there. He's got it covered. But most of us are freaking out all the time. And some say that we are the most anxious generation in the history of the world. Part of that, I believe, comes from compassion fatigue, which comes from, again, how small the world is now with social media and our technology to stay on top of everything happening around the world. But Jesus, as he walked along, when he saw someone who was in need, he stopped. He spent time with them. And I don't know about you, but most people usually say, I don't got time for that. I've got stuff to do, places to be. Jesus was consumed with ongoing intimate fellowship with his father. And for me, I can't pray three minutes without being interrupted by texts or dings and pings or my kids screaming or thinking about what my next meal's going to be, thinking about the things that I need to do. Anybody else relate? <laughs> Like, we can sit there and polish our halos, look all spiritual, but what's the point of that? We've got to get real. Imagine if Jesus were like most of us. Just picture it. Jesus, life in a day. 
Imagine if he were like most of us and he's all depressed going around to his buddies and he's like, oh man, Mark, I'm so sick of these sandals. My feet are dirty. They're sore. If only I had a pair of Yeezys. They're actually back on the shelves now, but <laughs> I could just preach. The crowds will come. It'd be so cool. Imagine him trolling through Instagram and he's like, ah, JTB, that's John the Baptist. <laughs> That guy's got more followers than I do. I don't understand. He's not even worthy to untie my Yeezys. <laughs> but imagine Jesus heals four people and he comes home like, bruh, I'm exhausted. Man, that one person, such bad breath. He's driving me crazy. I need a cold one. You can barely get your mind there. Jesus is not just the truth in the life, but he's also the way to the Father. And the first century Christians were focused on living and loving the way Jesus lived and loved. And when you think about just the way Jesus interacted, you'll notice every time you read in Scripture, how did he get somewhere? Well, he was always walking along. It never says that he scurried from one town to the next. He rushed here and rushed there. He was always walking along. He seemed unhurried. And I don't know about you, but I am rushed everywhere, all the time, without exception. Amanda was, just yesterday was getting on me for my driving, and she's like, ever since we moved back to Ontario, you're so aggressive. And I'm like, what are you talking about? As I'm pulling out and passing people down the Highway 6. And I realized, oh man, this hits close to home. But here's the scariest thing that I've noticed. I am hurrying to become a person that I don't even like always rushed, always anxious, always pushing, short with people when I don't have the time. And it's always about more, 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 faster, 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 go, go, go. And it hit me recently while I was looking through some old photos. Anybody ever do that? Scroll through memory lane. Well, here's a few pictures just to show you. <laughs> that one with Amanda and I at the top in the middle, she had just pushed me into the pool during family pictures. <laughs> But when I look back at these photos, one thing I notice from the past, and something you might not see with your eyes, but I know in my heart, is I was lighter. And again, not talking physically, weight-wise, <laughs> but in my soul. I was lighter, I was happier, I was more content, I was more full of joy, I was more full of peace. I used to be more fun, I used to be more relaxed, I used to have more time to really engage with people. I used to really enjoy the presence of God, and now I'm rushing to become a person I don't even like. Have you ever come to a place where you recognize that you need to make some changes, like some real changes? Most of you know that I tend to get sick a lot, <laughs> quickly and easily. On top of that, I tend to injure myself doing stupid things. Like, I've been up in this attic walking along the beams, I almost fell through once, but so far, I've been fine. That I should injure myself with. If I'm carrying cushions helping my mother-in-law, I'll roll my ankle and be on crutches for the next three weeks. True story. But what I find interesting is that these things usually happen when I've been pushing myself, when things are actually good, when there's momentum, when I'm waking up early and staying up late because there's just so much to get done, but it's exciting, it's good when my calendar is booked with back-to-back -back meetings and I'm working on messages in the windows of time between meetings, before and after. 
It's no secret that this year, since January, has been one of the most exciting seasons of ministry that we have experienced to date. Like God is on the move, God is at work, and I'm seeing you guys take next steps in your faith. I see people coming to Christ and saying yes to Jesus. So what you might not know is that as the momentum has been building, I've been trying to work harder and harder and do more and connect more and study more and be more creative. And then two Sundays ago, I was so excited for the long weekend. I'm like, yes, Monday's the holiday. I'm going to put my feet up, drink coffee, and do nothing. And then on Sunday night, driving back from my in-laws, an old friend of mine, Dan, he called me up. We hadn't spoken in about eight years. And he said, hey, Kev, my mom just died. Would you be willing to lead her funeral and her committal service? So, of course I said yes, and I don't regret it by any means, but we had to meet together on the Monday. We had to catch up. We had to plan for the services. And God did an amazing work in my relationship with him, which I'm sure I'll bring about in some future messages. But while I don't regret saying yes to Dan, there were many things before that phone call that I should have said no to. Because when you say yes to everything, you don't leave any room for margin. So I was already maxed out, but of course, when he asked, I'm like, yes, I'll be there and I'll do it. And then the following day on Tuesday, my fever shot up to 104, which I shared last week, and I could barely think straight. And I was wearing layers and layers of clothes and just shivering and laying in bed thinking, God, what's happening? Why are you letting this happen to me right now? And I had many people praying for me, and God did, in fact, do a miracle. He took away that fever for 24 hours. My fever went from 104 to nothing. The next day I woke up, led the funeral, was able to connect with everyone, fine. 24 hours later, bam, right back up to 104 in my sweater and hoodie under blankets. But I ended up testing positive for strep, and as you all know, I put on the alpha video last week because I didn't have the energy or the wherewithal to to put together and preach a message. And there were several times last week as I laid in bed, I just kept asking, God, where are you? You, You've got my attention. I'm stuck here. And luckily, last week was just a small setback, but it was enough for God to grab my attention because I've also gone through more serious seasons of burnout and grief and hurt and disillusionment. And I've been left with with the question, does Christianity work? Like, I'm supposed to be one of God's people, right? Like, I'm doing your deal, God. I'm grieving. I'm hurting. But then, whether stuck lying on my bed or in some cases bound to an air cast and crutches, it's like, okay, God, you have my attention. What's up? And it's always in these moments I've realized how little I've been taking time to hear from God. I've been so busy doing the work of God that I've been forgetting or neglecting to just be with God. And I've realized I need to spend a lot more time with him. And it's frustrating how quickly we can go from this strong relationship with good communication with God, spending dedicated time in the morning with him, and much of the day conversing with him, to then suddenly nothing. And we can't even hear from him. It's like, hello, where are you, God? And heaven just seems silent. 
But you know what? It often takes the silence from heaven or what seems to be silence or the felt absence of God to make me realize that I've been going at an unsustainable pace and that if things don't change, I'm going to burn out. And you see, what I realized was that the way, the way I'd been doing the work of God was destroying the work of God in me. The way. Good intentions born out of a sincere love for Jesus and his church. Like they were all good things, honorable things, but the way I'd been doing the work of God was destroying the work of God in me. And I'm guessing that there's probably somebody listening to this message that could say the same thing. You've been doing the work of God, but it might be destroying the work of God in you. Or maybe it's not just the way you're doing the work of God, but maybe it's your schedule, your pace that's destroying the intimacy that God wants you to enjoy with him. Maybe it's your insecurities or your unresolved hurts, or maybe it's your deepest fears distracting you from the work of the Holy Spirit who wants to strengthen you and draw you close to God and make you effective in the world. And so what happens is when I get sick, when I get injured, I'm forced to slow down without choice. And everything in me wants to push back, like, no, 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 this isn't how I do it. I push harder. We grind it out. This is the way to success. This is the way to get ahead. This is the way to be happy. You push, you drive, you achieve, you conquer. And the world would say, you get things, you flex on them, you show them what you got. That's the way we do it. But there's an Old Testament verse that speaks to the way that many people do it. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way. Somebody say a way. There's a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. And the way I had been serving God was actually hurting the work of God in my heart. And if this is resonating with you, let me encourage you to not just dig back into Scripture and spend time with God, but there's another great book by a guy named John Mark Comer, and it's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Great book. We actually did a men's study on it a couple of years ago. But man, I could use a refresher. And some of his teaching is going to leak out over the next few weeks. But he talks a lot about Matthew's gospel. And Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, these are the words of Jesus. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. So if you've like got too, too much, you're worn out, burned out, wondering where, where God is, where Christianity is, where religion's getting you. It's actually saying, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. And he says, I will give you rest. And then let me just warn you, the verse gets weird. (laughs) He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me if you're worn out. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke. If you don't know what a yoke is, this is just weird. Here's a picture of a yoke. So a yoke is a wooden cross piece that joins two animals together to work together to accomplish more. And when they're joined, they have to work at the same pace. So Jesus is saying, come to me, and I'm going to give you a work tool. 
See, weird, right? If you're exhausted, I'm gonna put a work tool around your neck. Like, when I'm exhausted, I want a massage on my neck. <laughs> I want a bubble bath. I want Amanda to rub my feet. <laughs> I want a vacation. I don't want a work tool around my neck. But what's interesting about a yoke is that there was no single yoke. Anytime there was a yoke, it was for two animals to be joined together. And what Jesus is doing and saying is, he's saying, if you're worn out, if you're burned out, if you don't know this is working, come and join him because I want to give you a better way. Listen, it's not, being a, it's not about being joined to your schedule or being joined to a religion or being joined to a church. It's about being joined to Jesus. Now, all those other things, again, are good. We should be connected. But first and foremost, we have to be connected to Jesus. Not just to believe his truth, which I hope you do, but also to live the way that Jesus lived. And some might push back saying, yeah, but Jesus wasn't a single mom with two, two jobs. Fair enough. Jesus didn't have student loan debt, right? Jesus didn't work for my boss, Satan in the flesh, whatever it is, okay? All fair, I'm with you. But Jesus still had a pretty big assignment, like be perfect, save the world. So I think, I think we can learn from him. <laughs> Called by God to be without sin and to give his life, Jesus loved freely and still disconnected from the crowds to get alone and be intimate with God. He had long meals with people that he loved. And we have meals delivered to us so that we can just keep on going. We can eat what we want when we want, get to the next thing. He had deep conversations. He stopped to listen and to love those who were hurting. And if you ever wake up and think there's got to be a better way, I can tell you there is. And it's not just the truth of Jesus, but it's the truth expressed in the way that Jesus lived. So like I said, I'm not going to give you a quick fix today. In fact, what I want to do is I just want to give you a moment to sit with the frustration long enough to get sick of it, to just get sick like I did, maybe not with strep, just with the frustration. <laughs> to look at who we're becoming and say, I don't like that person as much as I used to like the old version. I'm sick of the pace. I'm sick of the stress. I'm sick of the anxiety. I'm sick of the fear. I'm sick of, sick of being exhausted. I'm sick of being sick about feeling like I'm exhausted. I'm sick of going back and making the same promises I made for the last seven years and breaking the same promises. I'm sick of the way I'm doing life. So I'm not going to solve your problems today. I'm, I'm not going to solve them ever. <laughs> That's not my job. That's Jesus. But I am going to tell you where we're going in the next uh, few weeks. And I want to tell you this because I want you to be here. Because together, we're going to grow closer to God. Most of us are rushed, stressed, and overwhelmed. So next week, we're going to talk about the unhurried rhythms of grace. Like, how sweet does that sound? The unhurried rhythms of grace. Most Christians I know are overcome by temptation and feel far from God, and they fear, feel spiritually dry and dull. So we're going to talk about unbroken fellowship with the Father, 
How do we enjoy his presence intimately in an ongoing awareness of his presence? Most people today are unfocused, preoccupied, distracted by all sorts of stupid stuff. So we're going to talk about the uncluttered pursuit of God's mission. How do we stay on task, growing to become who he wants us to be so we can do what he calls us to? Most people I know today are regretting a past that they can't change and worrying about a future they can't control. And they're often present physically, but somewhere else mentally. So we're going to talk about an undivided attention in the moment. Watching as Jesus was always present and learning from him how to do exactly the same. So if you're tired of the grind, tired of the stress, miserable, afraid, angry, anxious, too many problems to solve, too much weight to carry, too much pain to bear, there is a better way. Jesus is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. There's a better way. His name is Jesus. And in the 21st Psalm, David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Like I've learned, you can choose to lie down or he'll make you lie down. And he made me lie down, had a different plan for my time than I had because he has a better way. And what I discovered in scripture, the Bible never says, be busy and know that I'm God. Be rushed and know that I'm God. Be hurried and anxious and overwhelmed and know that I'm God. But the Bible says, be still and know that I am God. And so in my hurt, in my pain, in my disappointment, in my loss, God has graciously shown me that the way I've been doing the work of God is destroying the work of God in me. And he showed me clearly, and I'm going to show you what he's been showing me, that there is a better way. So my invitation to you this morning, it's an invitation from God, and it's just come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Don't join a church. Don't look for religion. Come to Jesus. He'll give you rest. You don't have to earn it. You don't, you'll never deserve it. Deserve it. It's his gift. Take his yoke. Be joined with him. Do life with Jesus guiding you and you'll find rest for your soul. So friends, this morning, that's simply how I'm going to leave things. Come to Jesus. Join me in his presence. So as Santi just leads us in worship and plays for us, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper and communion. And I just invite you, after I pray in a moment, to just come forward, grab a cup with a wafer sealed on top and the juice on the bottom. And remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he chose love. And he said, this is my body which was given for you. And this cup represents my blood, a new covenant of love made between me and God for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when you're ready, come forward, grab one, and just take it back to your seat. And eat and drink in remembrance of him. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the gift of your son. And God, I just love how you're not asking us to do more 
You're not asking us to be perfect. You're not asking us to join all the teams and committees. And You're just saying, come to me. Rest in my presence. And let me help you. Father, may we rest in your presence this morning. Amen. In your name we pray. Amen.